the Mind Your OT Business Podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in this week. This is episode 13 of Mind Your OT Business. I can't believe we've done 13 episodes already, and I am just so still enjoying doing this. You may have noticed that I'm slowing down a bit, though, and only doing one episode per month at this point because I am in go mode with getting ready for the Therapy in the Great Outdoors training retreat that is coming up in one short month from tomorrow. I cannot wait. It's so exciting. I am finishing up the last edits on the Contigo Approach Treatment Manual and taking that to print. And my book is coming out soon, the activity guide for kids um, for therapy activities for outdoor therapy with children. It's called Therapy in the Great Outdoors, and it's going to be available on Amazon in a few short weeks. So um, lots, lots of work over here that I am so thoroughly enjoying. This is my heart's passion is to help other therapists take kids out into nature. So it's been very fun, but the podcast has taken a backseat for a little bit, but I am trying to be consistent and make sure that I get you guys good content at least once a month, even during this crazy time in my career. So uh, today we have an awesome episode. This, I just, I don't take notes during episodes. I just interview people, but I wanted to take notes during this episode, and when I re-listened to the episode to edit it, I took a lot of notes, and they are all in the show notes at mindyourotbusiness.com slash podcast slash 13. So you can find them there. Rafael Salazar of Rehab U Practice Solutions came on the podcast today to share with us all of the work he is doing. He has his hands in so many different businesses besides the business he runs at Rehab U. So Rehab U offers training and advising services to private practices and other healthcare organizations to help them really improve their customer experience, essentially. So Rafael is an expert in knowing how to keep customers because he says in the interview, it's, it's a lot easier to keep a current customer than to find a new one. And so in this episode, he shares his expertise about the things you need to consider to help keep your current clients. So there's that piece. Then he also talks about consulting that he's doing and also about a new endeavor that he's undertaking with several other business owners. And they've created a business together to start an online learning management platform to offer courses for a very good reason and a very specific group of people. And I will let him tell you all about it in the episode. This is the first time in the Mind Your OT Business podcast that we've talked about owning a business with other people. And I ask him some very specific questions about how they set that up, how they manage communication, the finances of it, and all of that, because it's very interesting to think about how complex that situation must be, right? So here is the expert in entrepreneurship and in creating the ultimate patient experience, Rafael Salazar. Rafi, welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast. So great to have you here today. 
Hey, Laura. Good to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you and I are very similar and that we have our hands in a lot of different business endeavors. So to get started, I want you to tell our listeners about, well, one, how you started your business, but also your, your first business, but also what your work life looks like today with all the things you have your hands in. Yeah, sure. So um, I have a lot of things going on. <laughs> um, <Yep>, you do. <laughs> I started out in, in 2017. I left the, I was working at the VA and I left that to do some consulting work um, on a bigger project. And it just happened that I was already thinking about starting a business by the time that opportunity presented itself. So it was just a nice segue. Like I was able to step away from you know, secure full-time employment, but I still had a contract essentially that was going to provide me some income. So about the time I was leaving, that's when I was starting what my first company is, which is Rehab U Practice Solutions. And really the idea behind it and what motivated me to start that was that I was working at the VA in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. I was in charge of uh, a clinic that did a lot of surgery, rehabs, and a lot of pre and post Um, surgery rehabilitation for the upper extremity. And I was just noticing a lot of patients that they came in, 50% got better, 50% went on to have surgery. Some people just dropped out the scheduling, never saw them again. And I was like, what is the deal? Like, I know that I am a skilled therapist and I know that I have legitimate, like I have legitimate skills. Like I can make somebody feel better. I can take away their pain. Yeah. Why are they why are they not getting better or why are they not showing back up? Um and it really sent me on this dive into you know, into what motivates people to show up for therapy, what doesn't motivate people to show up for therapy, what causes them to maybe uh cancel or no show, what causes them to really be engaged in treatment. And if you look at all of the research that's been coming out recently, patient engagement, which is just the the active participation of those patients in therapy or in really any healthcare treatment greatly improves outcomes and improves satisfaction scores and clinic retention and course of care retention. Um, so I was really looking at this and doing a lot of reading, a lot of, of researching about it and started implementing some changes at the VA that were having some positive impacts um, cool. just as far as course of care completion, which if you're, if you want to ask me, like that should be one of the biggest metrics that you're looking at in your business is how, what percentage of patients start on day one with me and then complete their course of care. doesn't necessarily mean they have to, you know, if you schedule them for 12 weeks and they finish all 12 weeks, but how many of them are completing their course of care by meeting their goals and discharging happy? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was what I looked at and we made some, some significant strides at that one clinic. And I thought, you know what, there must be, there must be a lot of people that have this issue. Yep. <laughs> um, and started looking at it. And initially it was going to be a course based uh, business, which I'm still working on that course. It's been a couple of years, but I've been busy. Um, and it, one thing led to another. And I ended up working with a couple of private practices in my city and my local area to do it and ended up getting some results. And, you know, one thing led to another and it's kind yep. of just been more of a, a consulting and an advisory role more than an education-based business, though the education portion will hopefully be coming out in 2020. Cool. So that's so, kind of how Rehab You started around, about, and I think that was 
at least the first part of your question, right? <laughs> yes, and I love, I, I, I want you to keep going because I know you have a couple other things that you're working on, but I love how you saw a need in the market and then had your idea of what it, what it would look like to meet that need, but then you adjusted as you saw what was actually working and what was needed immediately, right? Because you were thinking you were going to be course-based and kind of do a course for people, but then started doing more consulting. And maybe the course comes next year when you, when you have had time to work on it, but it's cool that you really analyzed the market, saw that need and figured out how to meet it, but were flexible with how you were meeting it. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's hard to do that. Sometimes you get your idea in your brain and you just want to do what you want to do and you're missing the boat really, you know? So it sounds like you, you really saw that and, and met the need immediately, but are still kind of keeping your vision in mind. So it's awesome. I just, it was, it's super inspiring to hear um, how you've grown it so quickly. So, okay, go on. Sorry. Yeah. There's a, there's a great book by, um, I think Mike Masterson wrote it called Ready, Fire, Aim. And yes, the whole idea of that is, yeah, it's a great book. Everyone should go read it. He talks about some important metrics that you need for financials and just running a, a healthy business. But his, the whole idea is that you come up with your idea, you bring it to market, and then you let the market tell you how to make it better. You know, a lot of times, at least I know, I feel this way with, with stuff that I write, with products that I put out. It's like, I feel like it's got to be perfect or my idea of perfect may be different than what my ideal client's idea of perfect is. So totally. the best way to have, the best way to find that is to have them tell you, right? Yes. So anyway, so, yes. So on top of, on top of that, what has really been, um, what really pulled me away from the VA at that point was I got contacted. Uh, it was a connection of a connection on LinkedIn and they were looking for, God love him. He's a business partner of mine now, but he was, he was looking for an OT consultant. That was the entire title of the, the job posting. Uh-huh. Um, it said OT consultant and it said helping people transition out of hospitals. And I was like, okay, what is this? So I, yeah, I messaged him and you yeah. know, one thing led to another. I think by the end of the week, I had been on the phone with him once. I had talked to the clinical director, um, and then I put my two weeks notice in. And what that job was, um, was the state of Georgia, which is where I'm based out of, is under or was under a settlement agreement with the Department of Justice. And it really hinged on uh, the rights of individuals residing in state institutions um, to, to be granted services and support in the community. So this wow, firm that awesome. I was talking to was basically helping the state of Georgia both clinically and behaviorally transition people out of the hospitals and support them while they were in the community. Um, and at least when I was going to school, you know, I graduated from, from grad school in 2012. But back when I was in school, they had told us uh, that institutionalization was a thing of the past, that there really weren't, you know, since the Olmstead decision in 99, that a lot of people have been transitioned out. There really was no state institutions left. Um, in fact, there was one prominent institution in the city that I, in the, in the school that I went to, and they said that one closed down. Well, it turns out that that institution is the one that's still open that we're working to transition people out of. Oh, wow. um, so hearing, um, Derek is the guy's name who's been doing this kind of work for, for 40 years. He's worked in 49 states, transitioning people out of institutions and closing institutions. Um, and he kind of described to me 
a little bit about just the, a day in the life of someone in an institution. And I have, I still don't know why, but something I, I told him it was, you know, something in my heart told me yeah. that I had to do it because I was yeah. bef- prior to this, obviously I was in an outpatient orthopedic clinic, which meant patients to me were range of motion measurements and had physical dysfunctions that I could fix. You know, it was, yeah. it was something very outside of my comfort zone to be talking about, you know, chronic disabilities and the whole psychosocial aspect of it yeah. all. But I felt really, really, um, really called to do it. So I, I did. And I've been doing that for the last two years as well. Um, and we help, we've been helping the state of Georgia with all their state hospitals and their institution transitioning folks out, supporting people who are in the community uh, and on Medicaid waiver services. And a lot of that work is advisory in nature. So we do some assessment and some recommendations, but a lot of it is really supporting the supporters. Okay. We do a lot of training, um, training for residential staff, for direct care staff, in-home staff, and then hand off to clinicians in the community. So we're kind of the go-between. Yep. You're and I've been doing that for about two years. You're getting it set up for success, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And the idea is that at some point, we won't be in Georgia anymore, but Georgia will have the infrastructure to, su- to support people in the community. So right. that's, that's the and- goal. So I've been doing that. On top of that, what? Yeah. (laughs) Go on. You're continuing. I know you have more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So on top of that, I just started this past year as a a core part-time faculty member at uh, an OT department, and I'm teaching the mental health class right now, so that's fun. But um, And then I'm on the board of directors for NBCOT, and I'm on the state board for Georgia. So I've got a lot of things going on. And then on top of that, on the side, which you and I had talked about previously, a lot of the, the, the work that we do in Georgia has really led us to see that there's just a, a, a desert of clinicians that are willing to treat adults with developmental disabilities in the community. And in doing some digging, we found that a lot of it is because clinicians don't feel uh, competent or prepared or comfortable treating patients and servicing patients right. that are adults with developmental disabilities. You know, it's one thing to treat, you know, a, a kindergartner or a first grader with sensory process, processing disorder or something sure. like that. It's another when you're talking about a 21-year-old with autism who now has the body of a man or a woman yep. and is still experiencing a lot of those same issues. So um, we have... Uh, Five of, my, five of the partners and myself have started um, another company, which will be uh, basically a continuing education company aimed really at training clinicians and support staff and even family members of adults with developmental disabilities about various things, how to support somebody in the community, you know, sensory processing, home modifications, that sort of thing. So we've been spinning that up for the last several months as well. So. Yeah, that's so busy. cool because you're busy, but it is, it's interesting how, and, and I feel like this about my work too, and it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the evolution of it all because it all feeds, everything you're doing feeds the other thing kind of, you know, like it's, it's there's some, there's some symbiotic relationship between all of these things you're doing, like this, this course that you're talking about creating to train the, the supporters and the caregivers of adults with developmental disabilities grew out of your work doing the consulting, helping people transition. And so it's cool in entrepreneurship how 
it, it's always changing and always growing and there's always going to be new things that you can create and do and it just keeps it so interesting. We will never be bored in our profession in general as OTs, but you add entrepreneurship on top of it and man, the sky's really the limit, I think. <laughs> so it's oh, absolutely. And the nice story. thing about doing entrepreneurial ventures is that if you do it right, the skills that you're building in one area will augment and improve your ventures down the line, right? So like I'm doing yes. this course, for example, with, you know, five partners, and we're putting this together, and we're building the LMS and the back end, all that technical nerdy stuff for supporting yep. an online learning platform. And I'm going to be able to take the knowledge that I learned from that and pump that into rehab you when I build out the, you know, it's going to be called like amazing patient experience learning platform or something like that. So all of that's going to carry over. And it's not like I'm, you know, I learned this skill that's it's nice to have and not really applicable, right? Like it's, right. it applies everywhere. Yes, absolutely. And then you have those skills to go down. That's like, if you make a website, you know how to make a website now, or if you build. Exactly. So you mentioned your um, learning management software platform, whatever you're using, what are you going to use for it? Are you building it out yourselves, like with, with individualized software or using Teachable or Kajabi or one of those other platforms? Yeah, so we're using a self-hosted platform. So it's, okay. it's a, WordPress, a WordPress plugin. Um, and we actually, one of my uh, friends from, from back in the day, he actually runs a marketing and consulting firm. Okay. So when I left, um, I reached out to him really to grab a beer or a coffee, depending on your age, right. <laughs> um, and just talk about like, listen, I'm leaving employment, so, you know, I'm going into the self-employment thing and I need to know how I'm going to make it work. Um, and I really leaned on him a lot for just advice and support at the beginning, um, just to venture into entrepreneurship. Um, and one thing led to another, I was talking to him about this idea and he was like, you know what, we actually just did that for a very big client who um, they actually did it for like a Catholic diocese. They would, they would put all their uh, some kind of trainings uh, like the child, the virtues trainings all on there. Okay. So he, they they're used to building and managing learning management systems. So I was like, well, I got these partners and we're looking at doing this. Is this something that you do? And we've, we've connected with them. We've been able to, to build something hopefully very unique and very great through that partnership. Um, so they're helping us a, a lot on the technical end, on the coding end, and then a lot of the the design and the flow and that sort of thing is coming from us. So okay. it is hosted on our website, but we are, we're definitely contracting the management of it out to somebody else who's more skilled. Because I think it's very easy when you're in go mode or startup mode to be like, I've got to conserve every penny. I got to make sure that I'm doing this on budget. And that's important. But at the same time, it's cheaper for me to pay somebody to do that if it's going to take them an hour to do it, as opposed to me taking 12 hours to learn how to code and then put that in and manage it. Like there's just too much to do. Right. Did you guys, did you guys consider using any other platform or did you just know that what you wanted to do was so unique that you needed to have your own custom built? learning platform well we knew we we had looked at the other platforms and really it just came down to um really ownership at the end of the day i want we all wanted to own the product own the platform and not have really not have to rely on anybody else okay. whether it be somebody else's approval or somebody else's glitches you know okay like if teachable goes down 
and loses your stuff, you're kind of out of it. Or if Teachable for some reason decides that you're, you know, making controversial statements or something like that, and they don't want to host your, your, your products and you're kind of up the creek. Right. Um, so we decided to skip that step. Now with, with some of the other ventures, it might make sense, you know, like if you're a single, single, a solopreneur and you're putting up a course, yeah, it makes sense to use Kajabi or use Teachable until you get to the point where you can own it. I think at the end of the day, that's really ideal for you to be able to own and run your own platform, you know? So this is, this is a perfect example of the selfishness of why I started this podcast was because it's like free business consulting for me because I'm like, okay, now tell me Rafi, what? So I'm, I'm really interested in this topic because I'm in development with an online course and I, I have not decided what platform I'm using, but now you're adding to the mix that maybe I should consider self-hosting this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what that would entail. So give me a, if you feel comfortable sharing, I can totally edit this out if you do not want to. Um, What's the price range for that? Like, what are you guys like having to put out? If you can just, you don't have to say exact, but a range, like how much money are you having to pay to have this thing custom? Because software developers are not cheap, you know, to contract with. So So, like, what's the to self-host something. Yeah, it, it depends on the arrangement you can come up with whoever's building it for you. So we have an arrangement with our vendor who's doing it um, that obviously this is going to be a long-term project and it's not um, just a one-time thing for them. So we were able to negotiate down a little bit. And if you look at, um, there's a great, there's a, there's a guy that everyone should probably read his book. It's called the business of expertise by David C. Baker. But he said something once that was not every engagement with a client needs to be profitable, but the entire relationship needs to be profitable. And that's basically what we pitched him. Like, listen, you might break even on building this for us, but we're going to be with you for so long paying you X number of dollars a, a month to run it, that you're going to end up coming out ahead in the long run. Right. But I mean, you can expect, if you're going to be building it on your own, depending on how big you want it, I mean, the range is, is literally anything from like five to $8,000 to like 20 to 30 Yeah. for however much you want. And then there's an upkeep. So we're you know, looking at paying almost, uh, almost $2,000 a month once it's up and running to just for the, for the technical support of keeping the learning management system op- operational. So, um, like I said, if you don't have the budget, it, it makes sense to, to start with like a, a Teachable or Kajabi. And in fact, I'm building out a couple of courses for Rehab U that are on Teachable. Mm-hmm. And the plan is that once that becomes profitable enough, then I'll migrate over. But, you know, in yeah. this other business, I'm, I'm, I'm just in a different position because we have you know, six partners, which means there's a lot more capital available to do that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, but if you're just starting out, I definitely recommend getting a product out the door in a way that's going to put money in your pocket first is what you should focus on. In a lot of places it's easier to use a Kajabi or a teachable or a Thinkific or whatever these are because it's basically plug and play. Right. Yeah. I I agree a hundred percent. I think a lot of times as business owner, it's like the thing I always say better done than perfect. Like I, I think we want to get it perfect the first time. And so we think, Oh my gosh, I need to have my whole thing self you know, I need my own learning platform and I, you know, I want to get everything perfect. And, 
But if you don't need that, you're just digging yourself into a financial hole that you will never get out of, or or maybe it will take a very long time to get out of. So I just think that was really wise advice you just gave that, you know, you really have to decide if your business can sustain the ongoing cost and upkeep of managing your own platform. That's significant to consider. So um, thank you. That that is helpful for me personally. That's helpful advice. I think, and for a lot of other people listening, that will be really helpful advice. So, um, oh, so exciting. Okay, so where to go now? I'm like, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> okay, I feel like um, let's 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 circle back to rehab you because that's kind of your original business, right? But it sounds like the consulting and your new partnership with these other, the five other um, partners is kind of taking priority now. Is that, is that kind of how your work life is or no? Yeah, sort of. So I basically, um, on the Georgia project, which is what we're calling it, the, the transition work, I'm contracted for them as my primary gig, more or less. It's three okay. or four days a week that I'm working for them, but that's, you know, it's, it's a daily rate and that's you know, however you want to work out your consulting deals is, is on you. But the way we worked it out between me and the firm, was it would just be a daily rate. And there's some days that I work 12 or 14 hours for them. And there's some days that I don't, it all comes out in the wash. Right. So my day may start out doing work for the Georgia project. I may end up like, I've got some papers when I get off of here that I've got a grade for, uh, the university and then tonight i'll probably be writing some content for rehab you so it kind of all blends but um yeah definitely this this learning uh company and the consulting on the on the georgia project is taking the bulk of my time yeah because rehab you so tell me more tell me more about what's offered through rehab you right now yeah so basically um I do a couple things the main one is is advising and uh consulting for really private therapy practices and clinics that are looking at their numbers and realizing that, um, that what they think is a referral problem is probably a patient engagement and retention problem. So one of the first clients that I worked with, um, hired me on actually as a contract OT when I had just left the VA to do work as a clinician. Um, and then one thing led to another, she heard about what I was doing and said, well, why don't I hire you to do a project? And her main, her task to me was basically, we need to build relationships with doctors because we're not getting enough new patients in the door. And, you know, we can't keep the therapist working. And I really, you know, I, I challenged that with her a little bit. I said, listen, we're, you're able to do 15 to 20 new appointments a day, you know, or 15 to 20 new appointments a week. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily a referral problem. It might be like how many patients are finishing their course of care and she had never looked at it. And we had looked at it and she had a, I mean, abysmal, it was, it was right above 30% completion rate. So, um, yeah, if if you think about it, you're going to schedule somebody for, you know, twice a week for, you know, eight weeks, 16 appointments. And if you're only let's just say you're, you're paying somebody a hundred dollars. So someone's paying you a hundred dollars for that appointment and you you miss one appointment that's a hundred dollars but you miss 30 percent or you miss 70 percent which is 70 percent you're basically yeah. walking <laughs> yeah you're walking away from you know 
it was thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, at the end of the day, it was costing her, we did the numbers for her specific clinic and it was costing her upwards of $150,000 of patients who just weren't coming back. So, uh, you know, right away she was like, well, this might be an, a, an easier problem to fix because right. what you will, you will learn this in business. Anybody out there is like, it costs more to bring a new patient on than it does to keep a patient or you know, keep a patient coming back. Right. Yep. It's Absolutely. the same thing for, for courses. You'll spend more on advertising to get your first patient or your first client, your first paying client than you will to get that same client to buy again from you. Right. So you know, from there we looked at, well, well, why are these patients not showing up? And, it, you know, I did, I did some surveys for, I kind of just sat in and listened to some of the, um, some of the conversations happening at the front desk on the phone. And it basically came down to the fact that the patients that were walking in her door were leaving after appointment one, two, or three feeling either like, uh, the services they were getting were not worth the money. So they weren't valuable or right. they felt, and this was the biggest one, that they weren't being heard. So the patients felt like they were in there for X, Y, Z, whatever their problem was. And their, their, their needs weren't being met by the client, by the, by, well, at that point is my client, but the, by the clinic and digging into that, it was a lot of things like you know, simple little interpersonal interactions between either the, the, the front desk staff or the clinician and the patient that would yes. leave the patient feeling like you don't care about me. Yeah. You know, like, and the patient comes in and says, you know, I was referred for shoulder pain. Um, and uh, you know, I can't do, you know, I can't throw the ball with my kids or something in the backyard. And the therapist kind of glides right over that and says, all right, well, let's take some measurements. Well, you really only have 75 degrees of abduction. We really need to get you to 120 or, you know, 180. And the patient's like, well, I don't care about that. I care about being able to, you know, hold my arm out while I'm coloring with my grandkids. Yes. You know, if you glide over that, the patient is like, well, then why am I going to pay you? Because I can learn how to do this on my own, or it's not worth it or whatever. So um, it took a little bit of, of uh, training, staff education and, and refocusing um, but really what the whole, what we wanted to do with her and what we ended up doing was really just getting the, the front office staff and the, the therapist to sit down with a patient and really hear their story. Like, why are you here? Why? Uh, I know you're referred to us for your shoulder because you had hand surgery, but what really do you want to get out of therapy? And yeah. if you think about it, like that's what they teach us to do in school, right? Thank you. I'm like, like we're this not is OT. This is true OT, right? Exactly. Here. <laughs> like we're not conveyor belt therapists. We're not cranking out. Uh, you know, funny story. When I started at the VA, I was treating shoulders in a shoulder clinic, mm -hmm. and my mentor, who was also an OT, but she had been there for twenty something years, pulled, you know, put her arm around me. She was southern from Tennessee, and she said, "Honey, let me tell you something." A shoulder is a shoulder is a shoulder. You treat them all like shoulders. And I was like, you know, for, for a new grad that was coming into this, I was like, oh, you know, that, that makes sense. Until yeah. about two weeks in and you're like, you know what? Like, that's not true. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like every, everybody's different. And it, well, I mean, especially with the shoulder, you got four different joints moving and this, that, and the other. Like right. every patient is different. So what I've, I really try to impact on or impress upon the students that I teach or the clients that I work with is that we are meeting unique people 
on a with a unique injury and a unique set of circumstances that are on their own personal road to recovery. And it is our job as therapists not to fit them into our mold or our protocols, yeah. but to really meet them where they're at. Right. Um, and the, the clinics and the clinicians that can do that are the ones that get called back by the same patients that get referred by their friends and neighbors and yeah. family members because they know you care about them. They you know, when I was leaving them. the VA, yeah, exactly. When I was leaving the VA, I had patients, you know, I was at a, at a main hospital. We had a CBOC, which is a community-based outpatient clinic um, that we also service. It was about 120 miles away. Not a two-hour drive, but they didn't have okay. OT, so they would come to our hospital. And when I left the VA, I put my two weeks in. I told a couple of patients, like, I'm going to be handing you off to this therapist, this, that, and the other. Like, the two weeks that I was there, the, my last two weeks, I had patients coming in that maybe had come in for a different appointment, but they were from, you know, this other city block, and they came in and said, listen, man, someone told me at our meeting or whatever, at our <laughs> veterans meeting, that you weren't going to be here anymore. You know, I just wanted to know, you know, I just wanted you to know that thank you for everything you've done for us. But more importantly, like, who are you hitting us off to? Because we want to be, you want, we want to get the same level of care. Yeah. Um, and it was not like, it made me feel, it made me feel really good. You know, I, I was yeah. leaving the VA at a time where I felt like I'm just a cog in the wheel. Am I really making a difference? Um, and it was very validating that all of the, the work that I'd put in, that that whole idea of making the patients the center of what we do um, yes. really had an impact, not just on the organization as a whole, but on those individual patients. Like that's more to me, that's worth more to me than anything else is that, you know, I left and there was, you know, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones and they were, they knew me and they felt like they could come back a year or two after I treated them and just talk with me, like how are your kids doing? You know, my kids yeah. are doing this or I'm doing this. Like that relational aspect is so important and it's very easy, especially in the outpatient rehab world to not even touch it right? Like, it's very easy to be like, you got, you know, you had a rotator cuff repair. These are your protocols. These are your exercises you're going to do when you come to gonna come in here. We'll put some heat, some ice on you and send you on your way. Yeah. Productivity. And you're missing the true, productivity. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've written a couple articles about this on my site about how the drive for productivity or time-based productivity has really killed healthcare yeah. because it's changed the incentive, right? The incentive is not anymore to put patients first, it's to put productivity first. And if you look at all the businesses, just because healthcare is a business, but if you look at all the businesses that do well, that last for hundreds of years, it's patients or it's, it's, um, it's businesses that put their, their customers first. Right. Absolutely. And in healthcare, for yep. some reason, we're in a we're in a situation where we're looking at other things and not our our not our customers, which are our patients. Yeah. So that's my I, little rant on that. No, I love it. <laughs> I I actually feel like it 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 is so helpful for people because right at the beginning when you started talking and you were telling the story about your first kind of consulting with this private clinic, um. Those, those two, you mentioned two things, if I can remember them. I'm not taking notes, but I think I remember them being um, customers were not feeling heard. They weren't feeling listened to. And the other one was um, that they left feeling, what was the other one? I'm blanking on it. But they, they didn't feel that the services they were paying for were valuable. Were, were valuable or like worth the money they were having to pay. Exactly. And so yeah, if you're coming I, in and you're doing the same exercises as everybody else and the therapist is on their phone or typing their notes, like right. there's this idea like, why can't I just do this at home? 
Yes. And not pay you a $50 copay. <laughs> totally. Or even cash. Gosh, if you're a cash-based practice, you really, I, I feel yeah. that very acutely in my own practice that people are paying for these services. We need to out of pocket. They're good hard-earned money and we need to be providing a super high quality, valuable service to them because yeah. I want to respect that and I want to, I want to yeah. keep their trust, you know? So I, so I well, want to I would go so far as to say it is your ethical obligation. Absolutely. Especially when someone's paying you out of pocket to deliver mm -hmm. more value than they're giving you in the money, right? Exactly. Like, yep. that's, always that's foundation. That's that. business 101. Yeah, we're <laughs> always trying to think of that. Like, what ways can we, like, exceed their expectations, you know? Um, it's good. I, so I want, I, okay, I want more consulting, Rafi. I'm going to ask you another question to get advice <laughs> from you. So, so you, we mentioned those two, the feeling heard and, like, making sure the service is valuable. But are there other things that are at play when we consider the the customer experience in our business like what other things oh, yeah. obviously listening to them is is so so important but what should we be thinking about as OTs when we're creating our customer experience for whatever business we're running yeah so there's two main areas that you need to look at the first one involves uh, call it the trans theoretical model of change but like behavioral change and the behavioral component of patients but then the all the other part is really what it's a blanket term called the process of care. And that, that encompasses everything from a patient, a, a patient gets referred to your clinic. What happens? Like how do, how do you do patient onboarding? How do they schedule yep. appointments? How do they access or communicate with the clinicians? How is treatment delivered? Like the, the entire process. And you can break that out into several different areas. But the main ones that you'll see the biggest bang for your buck is really at, at your front desk. So where you see, um, the, they're usually the first people your, your patients see, and mm -hmm. they're usually the first people your patients talk to. So how, um, like, for example, a phone call, like an initial inquiry, phone call, someone hears about you, they call your clinic looking for your services, like, what, how is that phone call handled? What information are you looking for? Are you looking for... Um, insurance uh, coverage and getting what, uh, verified, or are you really taking the time, or is your staff taking the time to listen to the patient, to hear what their story is, and whether or not you are a good fit, yes. and whether or not it makes sense to move forward. So if you think about selling or marketing or whatever you want to call it, right? There's it's really a series of of steps before somebody gives you the money, and the first step is really probative right? It's a probative conversation hmm. where the, you're the, Hey, I heard about you. Is it worth pursuing? And if it is, then you can talk about, well, does it make sense? Can I pay you? Can I afford it? Yes. And then the third one is you glide into the value. Like, is it worth me giving my money to you? What kind of value am I going to get in exchange for the money that I'm paying you? Yep. And then obviously you get to the point where they schedule the appointment, but how your clinic handles that transition, taking somebody from call them a cold lead or call them a, you know, a initial inquiry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the way to uh, initial assessment, like how you handle that process really does center on the soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, somebody I was just talking to the other day. So the soft skills are often the hard skills, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like interpersonal communication, 
being able to understand and empathize with your patient and really listen for what is going to be valuable to them is going to lead to more conversions, more people paying you for your services. Right. Um, so that's, that's a big piece. And then the other piece that I mentioned earlier is kind of behaviorally, behavioral change and, and that whole aspect and how therapy interacts with it. So I'm very fond of saying everybody in the rehab and the therapy world, we're in the change business, right? We help our patients, whether it be something as simple as following their home exercise program or following their, their safety precautions to incorporating healthy lifestyles, a lot of that involves changing someone's behavior and we're yes. intricately involved in that. So if you look at, say, an initial inquiry or somebody that just hears about you and reaches out to you, they would be in what we call the pre-contemplative stage of behavioral change. So they may or may not be aware that there's a problem, that they have an issue um, or what the issue is and how you communicate with them is different than somebody who's already, you know, six or seven appointments into a treatment plan, right? Yes. So understanding where somebody is in their arc of change or their, their phases of change, whatever you want to call it, changes how you communicate with them. And the, clini the clinicians that are able to manage that and the clinics that are able to do that effectively are going to be able to convert more leads into, into, into appointments. They're going to be able to retain more patients because they're going to be able to engage those patients more. Yes. Those patients are going to feel like the services that they're receiving are valuable and that you are listening to them and that, you are, that they are being heard. And then you're going to be able to get more patients coming back to you. So yes. those two, those two aspects, the understanding behavioral change and then understanding how you structure your process of care are hugely important for the longevity of your business, but also for making an impact, which I think is what we're all into this business for, right? Like Absolutely. I want my patients to, to be materially better because they've, they've come and, and received care from me. Yes. And I, that's my thing with OTs. I feel like so often we want to help people so much that we don't, we don't think that we can actually make money doing it. And I think it's fine to get rich helping people. Like that is, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's not your primary. That's a Zig Ziglar right? thing. But like, like yeah. you should be able to make money. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you make money. It, it, you, you, if you're motivated by helping people, which all OTs are, that's why we went into this field. So, um, yeah. okay. I love this. I, I, oh, I had a question. Let me think really quick. Um, I feel like, oh, my question was, so on the piece of your, I call them systems. I think you call them processes, but they're, they're business systems, essentially. Like your intake process, like what happens when someone calls? Who calls them back? What's the content of that conversation? Do you feel like you can have um, structures in place for those or, or do they need to be so customized that it's hard to have a structure in place for those types of things? No, you should definitely have some kind of framework that you call them structure your call. You know, like yeah. there are obviously, there's obviously information you need as a clinician or as a business owner or clinic owner to one, determine if the patient's the right fit and then two, get them on the schedule and yes. get them, you know, verified if you're taking insurance and all that. So, I mean, that's important, but it should all revolve around the patient and their story because yes. that, you know, we're humans, we learn narrative, narrative structure is very important to us, and it makes us feel valued and listened and heard to. Yeah. So by focusing your call or your, you know, if, it's a, if they're in your clinic talking to you around that, 
you can build the framework out. You can talk about, you know, like taking it. There's a guy, um, his name is Blair Enns, and he runs a company called Win Without Pitching, but he talks about the four conversations within a sales cycle. Um, and I mentioned it before, but it's, you have a probative conversation, a qualifying conversation, a value conversation, and a closing conversation. And they don't need to be separate conversations. They can happen on right. one phone call. It flows. But you're basically yeah. <laughs> walking, yeah, you're walking somebody through, like, this is what I have going on as a patient, and I'm looking for X, Y, Z out of treatment, and this is how it's impacting, you know, this is how this dysfunction is impacting my life, whatever it is. And then you take that as the clinic or as the, the front desk manager who's taking the call and you walk them through, okay, so this is, you said, this is your big issue and this is causing X, Y, Z problems in your life. You know, does it make sense for us to do this kind of treatment with you or bring you in and at least do an initial evaluation and see if there's any ways that we can affect this? And you walk the patient through from a, from yes. a position essentially of, of just, hey, can you help me to, these are the specific areas that I'm hearing as the, you know, as the scheduler, for example, that you're, that you're having issues with. And this is how I think we can best help you. Right. If you're willing, why don't you come in and we can get you set up and at least explore this idea more. Um, yes. And then you can have that value conversation. Ideally, it would happen face to face with the patient. Um, but sometimes you can do it over the phone too. I always say that um, that first appointment with your patient your clinicians should not only be doing an evaluation, like getting their measurements and doing their tests and assessment, but they really need to be one, getting from the patient what is important to them in the sense of, um, in marketing, we call it the desired future state, but we want that patient to tell us what success for them looks like. Yes, they're All dream. right, that's a, exactly. Um, you can call it the three-year dream, the 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 three-year question, the Dan Sullivan question, but you're basically asking the patient, all right, you've you know you've been through therapy, you're done, all of your problems in this area have gone away. What does that look like for you? All right, yeah. And then you need the clinician needs to take that information that the patient has just given them, and then say, all right, these are how these services or this treatment plan or this treatment bundle, however you're managing it in your own clinic, is going to help you get there. Yeah. And it bridges the gap for the patient from, all right, I'm paying you and I'm going to get some exercises to, all right, I'm going to, I'm working with you. We're partners in this. You're going to help me get to this desired future state. And I've just got to stick with you until, you know, I meet my goals or whatever. Yes. Like that is what we out. want to do. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We don't want to say a shoulder is a shoulder is a shoulder. I give these exercises to all my shoulders and they get better. Like we don't want to do that. Right. right? You, yeah, each person, each person needs to be individual and needs to be made to feel valued as the person they are. That is the crux of OT. I, I just, I love how you've, you've almost created a whole business around doing true OT. <laughs> it's just awesome. I, I was going to say, I, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because for a long time in my own practice, I, the one task that I held on to that was that I really could have handed off to Nicole, who's kind of our business manager who manages so much of the business. Um, I, I loved talking to families on the phone. Like I, I wanted to do that piece. And it finally last year got to a point where I was like, I am so busy. I really can't like, <laughs> but um, so yeah. she now, and she's 
wonderful. Like I trust her a hundred percent to do exactly what you're talking about. She is just so personable, such a good listener. Families love her. So I know that she's doing a great job with that. But I think for so long I held on to it because I loved hearing those narratives. I loved hearing families' stories. And I also loved talking to them honestly, truly honestly, about whether or not our service, outdoor nature-based OT service in a group, was right for their child. And I think a lot of times, there may have been, not a lot of times, maybe a handful of times, generally it was a good fit because people read online and they knew what our services were. But there were several times where it, it wasn't right for their child. And I could refer them elsewhere to someone else in the community. And I think even that built no like and trust value for my business. Oh, yeah. Because if I'm willing to say we're not, we may not be the right fit for exactly what you need. But hey, I know these people in the community who could probably help you. My goal on those first calls was literally the goal was to help people like that was (laughs) even if we never see them as a client ever. I just wanted them to affiliate Outdoor Kids OT with a helpful person, you know? And so that's, I think those calls, it, it, just what you're saying, I, it, I so resonate with it. It just so, my heart just welled up with like, this is what true occupational therapy is, um, is, is really listening to the client and meeting them where they're at. And it, it just is, it's really cool to hear you talk about it in like a business way too, that it works. Yeah. In and I mean, getting patients where they need to go too, you know, like I remember the first time I told um, a client of mine, like, you don't need to be seeing these patients. You need to cut them loose and refer them somewhere else. And like the look of trepidation and fear on their face, when they were like, but that's four appointments a week or something that we won't have. But it's like, it's one, you know, we already talked about it. It's your ethical responsibility to do that. But two, like the amount of goodwill that you get when you tell a patient, listen, there's not much else we can do for you, but I've got this, you know, colleague over here who runs this type of treatment service and you would really benefit from that. You can't, you almost can't put a dollar price on it because at the end of the day, the patient is going to know that you ultimately care about them and not your bottom line. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I do want to hear a little bit about how you manage, this is a total pivot here in the conversation, but okay. <laughs> I, I want to know about how you, how you work with business partners, because I think having so many people on a team with your, with your group that you're um, starting to do yeah. the, the courses for caregivers, do you have advice for people for how to form a good team and tips for like working in a team when you're starting something that is so ambitious and big and big. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it still is an adjustment. You know, I've, I've been a solopreneur for a while. So the idea of um, like death by committee is still something that I hate. And there's, um, there have been times where I've been like, you know, if something was going on in my business and I either needed to make some money or need to make a decision, whatever it was, it was just me. And I made the decision. Boom. Yeah. Like, so easy. That I was know. It. I'm like, Oh, I, can't, um, if I had a partner. This would be so hard, but sometimes exactly. I ask advice, but ultimately I'm in charge, you know, so I can make the decision. I ask advice from my employees or from Nicole as my business manager or from friends that run businesses. But 
ultimately it's just you and it's so yeah hard. and at the end of the day you're the boss right you're yes. making the decision right so with partners it is different because we all obviously have an ownership stake so we're all um, vested in this thing it's not like we have a, a really big hierarchy so it, it has been an adjustment there have been times where you know i have I have done something or somebody else has made a decision or moved forward to something. And it's like, Ooh, that's stepped on my toes. And it's, you know, so the, the biggest piece of advice is really having a culture or having people, you know, culture is one of those words that's kind of getting watered down these days, but in your team where people say what they're thinking, you know, there's a book um, by Kim Scott called radical candor that every, anyone who's building a team or managing people should read. Um, but it's the basic premise is that you do no good by bottling stuff up. You need to be, um, be forthright, but have the culture built where you can say, listen, your performance is subpar or listen, your when you made that decision, this is how it marginalized the other partners. This is how it made us feel like you need to have those discussions Yeah, because if not, you're going to end up with, you know, five years down the line, someone's going to explode one day and be like, you always do this, yes. <laughs> you know, like, and then the partnership breaks apart and, you know, there are tears and wailing and gnashing of teeth right. because right. you didn't address it early on. Right. Um, that's like a, that's just like a life lesson, you know, in marriage or in whatever, like if you don't address something at the beginning, it's going to be, you know, it's going to feel like a freaking Mount Everest that you have to scale later because you yeah. didn't address it early on. Um, so that's a big piece. And then the other piece is I, um, just given the amount of work that I was doing with these people, um, that ended up becoming my partners, I, we had a feel for each other. We worked well for with each other. Um, and we, from the beginning, so Derek is, um, the guy that owns CRA consulting and that's the firm that I contract for. Um, and he and I had had a few conversations about this idea and we had been, you know, I've been working with other independent consultants on this project and the idea of a continued education company sounded great. A learning company sounded great. So we started pulling some, some people together and what we ended up with was a group of people who one already knew, liked and trusted each other and trusted each other in a way that it was probably deeper than I trust you not to stab me in the back, but like these people have, um, have taken risks for each other. And for me, and I've done the same thing for them in a way that we truly know that we each have each other's best interests in mind. And yeah. then the thing that really made it a go for us is that we all have different skills. So it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good to partner with somebody who has the same strengths as you do and the same weaknesses as you do, because all you're going to do is magnify your weaknesses. Right. So we are in a position with six people. It's pretty easy. You're going to have a spectrum with, of skills and abilities and weaknesses. Um, but there is somebody on our team who's really good at details and, and design and that sort of thing. I'm not into the details, right? Like, yeah, you like <laughs> and neither is Derek. So yeah. exactly. Yeah. But we have, um, different skill sets. So because I'm, I'm the youngest one on our, on our team. Um, so I naturally, because of some of the work I was doing with rehab you and some of the work I was doing with clients and stuff like that, the whole backend websites, the whole technical aspect of things, how you build a sales funnel, how you do a campaign, how you run an email list like that. 
you know, I, I was working on that and I had a pretty good grasp of that, but I really, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this thing out as I go. So like running an organization and managing budgets and managing people is not something that I have, have done before. But Derek, having run a consulting firm for the last 30 years and managed teams of 20 and 40 people, knows how to do that, you know? Yes. Um, and we've got a few other people. We've got a, another OT on the team and an SLP and a nurse and then an administrator. And Derek is a, who started out as a DSP and now he's a consultant. So we have a wide breadth of both clinical knowledge, professional experience, and we play well off of each other's experiences. And we do, um, you know, when you put us together, we, we're, we're greater than the sum of our, our the totals, right? The sum of the individuals. Yeah. And that's really what you're looking for in a partnership. That's great. It's, it's interesting. Thoughts came up for me too. So there's so many of you and you come from so many different backgrounds. How did you um, set up the business? Like, is it a corporation and you all have shares? Yeah, so it's it's an LLC and it okay. is, they're just divided interest, uh, ownership interests between and, all of us. And then you guys, you, are you equal owners or is there like percentages based on what people's roles no. are? So there, there are percentages. And a lot of that was, you know, my thought going into it was, um, this was my idea. I had wanted to do this and I came to Derek and to Brian um, and to Dan, who were a couple of the other partners with this idea and said, what do we got to do to make this work? Um, so from the outset, there were some initial contributions that were different from other people. Like we brought a couple people on later. We brought a couple people on earlier on. Okay. So we, we had, again, it was a, a candid conversation. We sat down one night over dinner and said, you know, Rafi so far has done X, Y, Z to put this in place, to, you know, write the business plan, to get things you know, on paper for us. So, you know, he's in, you know, we're going to think that that means it's worth X number of dollars worth of contribution. Yeah. And so he's going to get this percentage. We did break it up so that um, there is a managing partner because at the end of the day, while you want to make decisions as a team, you need to have somebody who can make the decision. Yeah. Someone um, has to, it ultimately so, the buck stops at them. <laughs> someone has to take exactly. the responsibility. Yeah, exactly. So, so we did that. We have that. And then there's separate ownership interest broken up among the partners based on, you know, the contributions beforehand, the contributions afterhand and kind of what we bring to the table. Okay. And is there, is there financial money in too? Like did all of you contribute a certain amount? I mean, I know you're talking about like um, how much people contributed time-wise and yeah. like skills-wise, but yeah, there's there's money investment? involved. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, that's, yeah. you're you're building something very large. I mean, much bigger than a lot of the practice owners that I've that I've spoken with or business owners that I've spoken with are running. You know, they're running smaller brick and mortar practices. Yeah. This is something very different, and the kind of thing I want to cover on this podcast. I want people to know that there's OTs out out there doing different businesses than just a pra uh, OT practice, right? And oh, yeah. this is a perfect example of how you can do something so much bigger than what we often think we can do as OTs because we don't have that business background, you know, but you've, you've done it. Yeah. You've got a support team around you. I'm assuming you had lawyers help you like with all this. Yeah. Like drafted and look it over. We, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's, I, I approached it this way, like, I, I am one of those people that 
tend to just think the best of everybody. And so does most of the people that I work with. Right. But at the same time, like a comma in the wrong place or a miscommunication or a misunderstanding can cause huge repercussions down the road. So at the outset, I was very, very adamant. And so were the other partners. Like, this has nothing to do with thinking that you're going to try to screw us or that we're going to get screwed or that anything's going to happen. But it's all about making sure that expectations are clear and identified up front and that all of those, the potential issues for breakdown in relationships were avoided. Because at the end of the day, what I want to be able to do is in 10 or 15 years, I want to be able to call up Dan or Laura or Noel and go and have a coffee with them or go talk about whatever, regardless of what happens with this business. I don't want the relationship to be damaged. And that's, that's part of my personality. Like I'm a relational person, yeah. but I wanted at the end of the day to have, um, to have a business that was thriving and that was able to, to build the life that we all want but at the same time, not destroy what brought it together in the first place, which is our relationships. Right. right. So having so, those contracts in place helps to exactly. protect. What do we do if? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, not, it's not necessarily to, you know, to keep somebody from being taken advantage of. It's just really so everybody understands. Because yeah. if you understand, then there's less of a chance of something going on down the line, you know? Yes. That shared mental model. I use that term a lot. So we can all be yes. on the same page, right? Are you guys um, paying people yet out of your, did you do any fundraising to start up or are you? No, not yet. We are entirely self-funded. You self-funded it. And then are you, then are you paid out of that or is it like you're, you paid in, but you're not necessarily being paid yet from the business because you're building it. We're building it right now. So we have a, a podcast that's going to launch. Um, I think that we just had a meeting about, it. I think the potential launch date is the week of October 14th. Oh, awesome. Um, and that's going to be called. Yeah. So it's called the, uh, the brighter futures podcast. And it's really going to be about, um, just that, how do we build brighter futures for individuals with developmental disabilities? Um, and then the courses will launch, launch after the new year. Okay. So revenue, this is one of those, again, one of those things where the only reason we're able to do this now is because we got, we've, we're all independent clinicians. We're all independent entrepreneurs. So we have funds coming in that are, that are able to finance this, but also keep us and our families fed while this thing pans out. So um, there won't, you know, we're, we're looking at this thing. We started this thing at the beginning of this year, building it. And we realized that it would be about 12 months before we saw a dime of revenue. And that's fine because we were prepared to do that. So yeah, you're, you're anybody who's looking at building a business needs to take that into consideration as well. Yeah. And, but it sounds like you are, are doing it responsibly. Like you all are invested, you're building it, you have deadlines, you know that it will be profitable, but you can, you can use this time to build up to it and, yeah, and have those profit rewards later. So, um, yeah. And I mean, if you look at like, the amount of like scalability for online revenue models, it's just, it's ridiculous. Like it has never been, I was talking to somebody the other day, it has never been easier for somebody with a set of skills or knowledge to profit and not just profit a little bit, but become very wealthy teaching people to do what they know how to do just because of what technology has allowed us to do. You know, you are able as yeah, your podcast can be listened to by somebody, you know, in Scandinavia or Australia. Like it's not limited to 
your little area wave of FM or AM radio, right? We're right. in the we're here in the in the in the age of connectedness. And if you leverage that right, you know, it does not take a lot of people to make a you know, paying a little bit of money to make a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I, I feel like my niche, you know, is nature-based, really pediatric practice, but I always feel like it's so small, but then I get emails from people in the Philippines or in Japan or in Australia. And I'm like, wait a second, I don't have to just think United States. I can think worldwide, you know, really anyone who speaks exactly. English because I don't know how to write in another language, you know, like, um, I, it's it's really amazing to me, and I think it's a huge. I'm I'm going to bring Melissa LaPointe on in a few episodes. Um, I need to schedule with her, but you know she's doing a lot of great work on helping OTs leverage the online space. Like understand how you can take what you do and share it with other people in the online space. And I, I I'm so excited for the future of OT because I feel like finally because of this online space, the more OTs that get into the, the online space, the more OTs that are doing podcasts, the more OTs that are putting this great content out into the world, it really, it really elevates the value of our profession. You know, it shows people the amazingness of OT in a way that really never before was possible. I mean, it was like, please put media coverage on an OT in the news or yeah, something, you know, like now exactly. it's just with, with online sources like this. It's so exciting. Um, okay. I, yeah. one more question. And then I'm going to ask you the last two about fail learns and, and positive things. Okay. So, um, do you want to, with this platform that you guys are creating, are you focusing only on the training for the caregivers of people of adults with developmental disabilities, or do you think that platform is going to expand to offer other online learning experiences? Yeah. So the initial, the initial courses will, will be for continuing education credit for licensed medical providers. So TPT, SLP and nursing. Okay. Um, and then from there, yeah, we've, you know, you got to start small, but the vision is to build into, um, into something that agencies could potentially uh, rent or purchase for their direct care staff for residential providers. Okay. Or even that, um, like, my kid was just born with, with this disability and I don't know what's going to happen. Like, basic little stuff we're going to have. The goal is to have some free and very inexpensive stuff for families that are supporting an individual with developmental disabilities. So the the initial launch is going to be very targeted to clinicians, but the overall vision is going to be um, anybody that touches or supports or serves adults with developmental disabilities. Oh, it's so big and it's such a needed needed thing in the world. I just... I feel so inspired talking to you. I love it. Okay, last last two questions. Um, what is the biggest mistake you've made in your business career, and what can others do to avoid it? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, the biggest mistake I probably made initially was really not understanding that if you build it, they will not come. Right. <laughs> so, um, like. I spent the first, 
you know, a little bit, really having landed in a, in a contract and doing some of that consulting and then kind of gliding into consulting with private practice owners to feel like, oh, all right, I'm going to build this website and that's going to be it. And then months went by without an email, like no one wants to email me and find out why I can help them. So right. <laughs> I'm not understanding, not truly understanding like how lead generation works <laughs> or how like you actually have to market yourself yes. um, was probably the biggest. So the, the probably the biggest piece of advice I would give anybody who's thinking maybe who, who has steady employment and is thinking about starting a business down the line is to... Um, um, make sure that you take the time initially to understand if it's a private practice or if it's an online revenue model of some kind, like how do people in this space get clients or patients and then learn everything you can about that. So learn how to market because if you market, you will never go poor. If you don't, you will go poor very quickly because <laughs> you'll yes. run out of, out of clients and patients, right? Yeah, because you can have the best service ever, and if no one knows about it, you're exactly. not have people coming. So it's almost, it's like before you even, I, I was just talking to a, a business consult client a few days ago, and I, I was saying, you know, before you fork over the thousands of dollars per month for a clinic space, how about getting a good a good base of clients? So then there's some word in the community about you and have a waiting list. And then you'll know when you open your doors to your clinic that you have 20 people on a waiting list and you'll have yeah. people coming, right? So it's, it's so important to, to make sure that people know about your service because even if you're the best OT in the universe or you have the best product you've invented in the universe, if people don't know about it, you will not have sales. <laughs> exactly. Good advice. Yeah. And if you're like, if you're in a position where you're already treating patients, like say what you want about whether or not there's a shade or not. I don't care. If you're treating patients working for somebody else in a different clinic and you're thinking about leaving, I would tell your patients that you're thinking about leaving, you know, like there's yeah. nothing like having patients line up because you're, you know, you're the best in the clinic and everybody knows about it and saying, all right, well, I think I'm going to be opening up a space, you know, across town or whatever. Right. Um, I have a, a friend from OT school that did that. You know, he was working as, um, an outpatient therapist connected to a hospital system and there were patients that wanted therapy after the hospital system wouldn't see them anymore. And he just started seeing them, you know, right. he'd let people know that he was going to be seeing them. And then one thing led to another and boom, he's got a clinic space now because he had just built up a long list of people that were like, if you do give me a call. Right. That's, that's you know? actually exactly how I got started way back. I, a long time ago, like 15 years ago. Um, but, um, I worked similar situation in an outpatient pediatric clinic at a hospital, at a children's hospital. And there were always kids who, you know, their insurance was up, it wouldn't pay anymore, but they wanted to pay privately for services. So one of the PTs and I, you know, talked to our boss and said, is this okay? Can we, can we see clients privately that were clients of, of Baptist as long, Baptist Children's Hospital is what it was called, as long as, as long as there's like clear criteria in place like we're seeing them under our own business and not under the hospital and they they said it was fine and so that's how I actually started in private practice was getting a couple of clients same way your friend did was because yeah us at the hospital liked us and then wanted us to see them and they would pay cash for, for to get extra therapy for their kids after their their insurance quota for the year was up or whatever it was so 
um, that's a great way to start as long as you're being clear with your employer and, you know, exactly, making sure yeah. that you're not being unethical in that way. But, um, yeah. But I mean, the reality is, you know, there's, I think there's this fear out there from either from people that might be wanting to do that or from people that own the clinics, like there aren't enough patients to go around. And the reality is you can fall backwards into a hundred people in your area that need the services you provide. And there are, there already is a shortage of healthcare providers in the OT and the PT and the speech world. Like you're not, you know, it's not a, a, uh, what's the, a closed pie or whatever, a fixed pie. Right. A scarcity mentality. Yeah, I was, that's funny. Same yeah. business call the other day. I was saying like, it's really hard for OTs. Like I think when we start businesses, we feel like, you know, we're in competition for clients because there's only so many people who need OT and it, you know, really we need to be thinking the right clients find the right therapist, you know, like not everyone's yeah. going to be a good fit for everyone anyway. And so the more we can really say like more power to you, if you want to go across town to such and such space to get your therapy, we're going to find the people that are right for us. And just trying to lean into that idea of like it all working out, you know, <laughs> and like knowing that there's enough, yeah. there's enough wealth in the world for everybody. Um, but that's really hard. I mean, it's a hard mindset, I think, for a lot of people to have when you're starting a business and struggling and it's, you're just getting started. And, you know, the more you can foster that mentality, the better off you'll be in the long run because it just helps you have a positive mindset. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just do what's right. Do what's yeah. right for your patients. If it's not yeah. right for you to see them, refer them to somebody, even if they're a competitor, because at the end of the day, you want that good karma on your side, right? Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alongside all of, all of these, of this positive topic of conversation. Um, the last question I always ask to end on an up note is what is going really well right now in your business business says I have to say for you and how can others experience <laughs> the same success? So what is going really, really well for me, I feel like in the last probably three to four months um, has really been finding a, a just a rhythm for work-life balance. I know that that's like that idea is, has been talked to death, I feel like, but until you're in it and you're running a business and you're waking up at two in the morning in a cold sweat, wondering yes. how, you know, where the money's going to come from or what happens if this client leaves or like yes. you, you don't really understand it until you're living it. And what it came down to for me, like I was, you know, my birthday was Monday turned 30 years okay. old. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I decided I was just going to take the day off of work. I wasn't going to work for the consulting firm. I wasn't going to work on my business. I wasn't going to do anything. I was going to spend the time with my kids. I ended up doing a little bit of paper grading during their nap time or whatever, but right. like, being, being able to make that decision, one was very liberating, but it really took just sitting down and thinking about what I wanted out of life. Like, yeah. What do, at the end of the day, what do I want? Do I want to, yes. do I want to wake up in 40 years and realize that I made a couple million bucks and I've got, you know, whatever in the world, the, the money in the bank or whatever, but I missed my kids learning how to walk or yeah. I've got three kids, they're four and under and I've got one on the way. Like, oh my this gosh, is a time so awesome. in my life. <laughs> you yeah. need to be there. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Like this is, like my, my son sometimes just, he's for some reason or another, he's a reader and he will sit there, sit on my lap and listen to me read 
whatever, the Bernstein Bears stories, Tim, or whatever. Right. Like, that is not going to be there forever. And I want, to, I want to build a life that allows me to do that. So if I'm in the middle of work, working on a report, or doing some client work, I work out of my house. I want my kids to be able to be like, Dad, it's lunchtime. Are you going to come eat with us? You know? Yeah. So it really took what I, what I did about three or four months ago. I sat down and I basically wrote on a sheet of paper, why am I in business? And the first one was to build the life that I want. Yeah. And I took the time to think about, well, what is the life that I want? And what I, what I came up with was I wanted the time with my family. I wanted the resources to be able to, you know, to provide for my family. Obviously we've got kids, they're all boys right now. So when they hit like teenagehood, I'm going to have to buy like truckloads of food. Yeah. So obviously there's, there's the money aspect, <laughs> but really what it came down to is I wanted to be present to my family. I didn't want to have to be working a nine to five and then overtime and then being gone. Like I'm in a very unique position right now that I'm able to just, you know, if I've, if I've got my stuff more or less lined up, that I can take an hour off here and there. I can go see, you know, in the middle of the day, I can go take my kids to whatever, the park or yeah. something like that. Um, and it took me, one, it took me really getting disciplined about time management, about making sure that I had my prioritized list for every week and every day. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then realizing that there's always work to do, right? Always. <laughs> like yes. there's, there's a never-ending list of stuff that I can be doing. As long as I'm hitting my priorities, I should, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my own mental health, just take the time to, to yes. do that, you know? Like the other day I was in the garden pulling weeds with my son at three in the afternoon. I, yeah, I had to do a little bit of work. I had to shoot some emails after they went to bed. But you know what? That time there was more important to me. Yes. And I think for any business owner that's either struggling to find that work-life balance or thinking about making the leap into entrepreneurship, just be clear at the very beginning what you want your business to do for you rather than what you are going to do for your business. Oh my Because that's gosh. what it's all about. That's why that we is, go into entrepreneurship. It's to build the life we want. That is a hundred percent. I cannot describe to you. I'm going to make that the quote on the blog post for this <laughs> <laughs> because it's such a great thing to end on and I literally I was almost crying when you were talking because I feel like I had a moment almost exactly the same as like what you said where you sat down and you wrote down why you were doing what you were doing because same as you I've like got my hands in a lot of stuff and I had this moment where I, I listen to a lot of business podcasts and you can get really easily overwhelmed if you consume a lot of business content because there's, you just want to implement, oh, yeah. you know, and I was, I was biking from Whole Foods where I had been working for a few hours one morning, which is what I love to do. I love to just go and get a kombucha and I sit and work at Whole Foods and it makes me so happy. I get a salad if I'm hungry, sometimes a cookie or something I shouldn't get. Whole Foods does have unhealthy <laughs> But I, but I feel like it, it's just a space where I get a lot of work done and I enjoy the environment there. Like, I don't know why it's, I get, it's like my mobile office there. I'm not around the laundry at home, you know, and the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I was, I had just left from having a really productive time of working there and I was biking home and I was listening to this business podcast and the, the 
person on the podcast said something like, we're set to hit, you know, we did 10 mil last year, we're set to hit 20 mil this year. And in, in this brief instant of a moment, I realized, I, I think a lot of times that I really want financial success, meaning like we have tons of money, okay? But, wow. but in, that, in that split second of a moment when I heard him say that, it was like I realized how much responsibility that comes with, and I didn't want it. I was just so happy with my life right now, the way it is, that I can work yeah. out for a few hours, that I can pull weeds with my kids at 3 p.m. if I want to, that I can walk the dog in the middle of the day if I want to, that I can lay on my couch and work if I want to, whatever, whatever that is. Like crafting your life the way you want it to me, and, and it sounds like for you too, is one of the most important things as an entrepreneur that is almost more important to me than the financial. I mean, I want to, same as you, I want to be able to support my family. But in that moment when I was like on my bike and hearing this guy, I realized like, oh my gosh, he probably has to be at an office like all day, every day. Yeah. managing people. He's working 60 or 80 hours a week to make that yeah. 20 mil. Yeah. So I, it was like this moment where even though in my mind always I have this idea of financial, like there'll be some point at which I'm financially successful or something. It flipped in my mind at that point to being like happy with my life now and seeing like ultimately in the future, yes, there's going to be more money coming in because I'm growing the business. But, but it, it became not important to me to do that. And I became yeah. so in that moment happy with my life being just the way it was and that I have crafted the life that I want and I feel like I've made the business to it serves you yeah right? it serves me right like I've, I've chosen to do the things in my business that I really enjoy doing and I've figured out how to find the 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 strengths in other people to do what they enjoy doing you know so it's it's just I so resonated with that story and it's probably my favorite thing anyone's ever talked about about going really right well, like the the thing that's going really well right now in your business. And I'm I'm just so thankful to you for coming on, Rafi. It really was such an amazing interview. And I feel like there are so many takeaways that people are going to have from this. So I appreciate you. Thanks for making the time. You are a busy man. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you, Rafi. All righty. Have a good one. So you all may have noticed that I made the newbie podcaster mistake of forgetting to ask Raphael where people could find him online, which is the last question everybody asks in a podcast. So his business is at RehabU, the letter U, PracticeSolutions.com. You can find him on LinkedIn at Rafael Salazar II. So it's R-A-F-A-E-L-S-A-L-A-Z-A-R and then two I's, I-I. And on Facebook, you can find his business at facebook.com slash solutions. So the best way to connect with him is to contact him through LinkedIn or through his website. But the awesomest thing that Raphael did was he made a special offer just for Mind Your OT Business listeners. So he put together a quick page just for people that listen to this podcast. It's got free resources and downloads and links to several of his articles, which really go deeper into the topic of patient relationships and patient engagement. And there's also a link to a free 30-minute consult call with him if you want advice on this topic about your own business or just on general entrepreneurship, because I think it's clear from this podcast that he has a lot of wisdom to share with people who are starting businesses. I just 
loved the conversation with him and I have been thinking about my own action item and I think my biggest takeaway was probably those four steps of an inquiry phone call and how to really structure the phone call so that you really listen to clients and also make sure that you hit all of those steps. I believe it was probative, like probing, and then um, qualitative, was that it? Quantifying maybe was like the the figuring out the logistics of, of whether or not it could work and then talking about the value that you offer and then actually closing that sale and getting the um the the person to commit to your to your business or to your service the other thing is just i was really encouraged about online revenue streams and this is something we're going to be recording the therapy in the great outdoors training retreat and packaging that into an online course and so that is very exciting and what will be taking up probably half of my next year in my business is creating that with the videographers and making sure that that content is top-notch and really helpful to therapists who want to take their work outdoors with kids. So those were my takeaways. You may have had others. I would love to hear if you want to make a comment on Facebook on this episode or on the blog. Um, Again, it's mindyourotbusiness.com slash podcast slash 13, the number 13. And um, oh, one more thing. Rafi's company, the company that he's starting with the other people, which I realized I just didn't get the name of, but um, has a podcast launching in mid-October. So if you are interested in learning about how to build brighter futures for people with developmental disabilities, check for the podcast coming soon called the Brighter Futures Podcast. I am really excited about that one too. I want to say thank you to Raphael because he just shared so much and is giving you guys so much extra content even than he shared on the podcast. And I just appreciate him and all that he is doing for our profession. So make a small step. They make great gains over time. And until next time, mind your OT business.